Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. of starting our, our Christmas series for the next three weeks. We're going to be uh, kind of in this place, it, really thematically. We're, we're going to be talking about peace over the next three weeks. Um, in the Bible, where all the way from the Old Testament to through the New Testament, as we see the Bible talking about the coming Messiah, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, we see from, from the very beginning, uh, he, has, he has been characterized and thematic in the Messiah's role has been peace. In Isaiah 9, uh, the prophet uh, gives one of the titles that the Messiah, the coming Messiah will, will hold is that he will be called Prince of Peace. And you know how in different times, maybe you read scripture and something hits you differently because of the season of life you're in? Um, let, me just, let me just, in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, here's what, here's what Isaiah says about the Messiah who's going to be, you know, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Today we talk about government overreach quite extensively. And think about what, what Isaiah says about Jesus and his kingdom as his government. Of, his, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. I was thinking about that, thinking about how um, of, of all the government overreach that I would be against, I think I am excited about the overreach of Jesus' government and kingdom that it will continue to grow, it will continue to reach every spot, every corner, there won't be anything left unturned, that the increase of Jesus' government and kingdom and of peace, there will be no end. Here's the reality that even Isaiah said back in, in the Old Testament, that every government and kingdom will end. That's what's different about Jesus' kingdom is that every other government and kingdom will absolutely end, but of the increase, the constant perpetual growth of the kingdom of God, that will grow and there will be no end of that increase. That it will just become more and more and more. And how awesome is that, that, that as, we, as we look at the things around us and we have different complaints or different, different issues, that, that of, of Jesus' government, there will be no end. And there's nothing that can get that off track or stop it. In, in Luke, in the gospel of Luke, in, in Luke 2, we have the, the angelic hosts show up and, and they talk about Jesus as peace. And, and they say basically that upon the, the birth of this child, this messianic child, there will be peace on earth. And then even, even the apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.14, he says, Jesus himself is our peace. That, that not peace is, is more than just a feeling or an emotion or a state, but, but it's also a person, that Jesus Christ himself is our peace. And, and so there's this biblical idea in the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's shalom, and in the, in the New Testament, it's erene, but it's this idea of, of peace. And really, the biblical understanding of peace is that something is made complete or whole. Uh, one, of, one of the ways that, that it, was, it was described was that it was like a stone that has a perfect shape 
with no cracks in it. And that was a stone that was at peace. Um, something that's complex with lots of pieces in a state of completeness or in a state of rest. And that's the reality is for us, life is complex. It's constantly in motion, fluid with relationships and situations. And when any of these things are, are out of alignment or missing, our peace breaks down and we're no longer whole and we're in need of restoration. And, and so to bring peace means to make complete or restore. And, and so Jesus, Jesus came and, and his whole thing was to make peace between you and God, between God and man, to bring that, play, that, that relationship to completion or wholeness. And, and, and when Jesus died and rose from the dead, that's what he accomplished, that peace between God and man. And, and, and so Jesus calls us to be at peace, but he also calls us to create peace through humility and patience and bearing with others in love. And so we have to understand peace the right way because peace is not just the absence of conflict or the absence of argument or tension, but peace requires taking what is broken and restoring it to wholeness. Whether that be lives, whether that be relationships or, or the world around us. And that's what Jesus did. See, peace isn't just not saying something rude or being quiet, but peace is actively taking what's broken and bringing it to completion, wholeness, restoration. And that's how, that's what Jesus did. You see, we don't have a pandemic problem. We don't have a prejudice problem. We don't even have a political problem. What we have is we have a peace problem. We've seen in no uncertain terms this year that the world is, is not whole. It's not complete. It's broken. And it's in dire need of restoration. And that's why we're setting our focus on Jesus' peace during this Christmas season this year. Because I think it's, it's, it's really critical that we understand what this Prince of Peace has come to offer and why peace is so closely related and runs so strongly along the lines of Jesus and his ministry and his people. And, and so we're gonna, for the next three weeks, we're gonna look at peace in the midst of things that are difficult. And this week, we're, we're actually looking at peace in the unplanned, something that, that maybe we have plans and, and then the unplanned happen or our plans get interrupted or detoured or, or, or anything like that. See, the reality is that we are, we, are, we are very much planners. Even if you're unorganized, you still plan, don't you? You have plans, you have desires, you have things that you are aiming for. One of my favorite movies in all of history, which wasn't not recognized by the Academy like it should have been, was Three Amigos. <laughs> and, um, and there's a scene where, where, where Chevy Chase's character, Dusty Bottoms, he goes... And, and gets into um, El Guapo's fortress to save the girl, Carmen. And so he, he arrives, he gets into the room where she's being held, and there's this conversation that happens. And, and so uh, he says to Carmen, he says, okay, now it's time for plan B. Plan A was to break into El Guapo's fortress. And Carmen responds by saying, and that you have done, now what? And Dusty Bottoms responds this way. He says, well, we, we really didn't have a plan B. We didn't expect for the first part of the plan to work. 
Sometimes you can overplan these things. And, and just, there's just this thing where we make all these plans, and sometimes our plans don't work, and sometimes they do work, but, but there's a reality that we all have plans. We have calendars and planners, and we have organizers. We have short-range short short planning. We have mid-long-range planning. We really have our ideal lives planned out. I mean, how many, how many like little girls and little boys have plans for their life? I mean, Oftentimes, they're, they're, they're a little bit unreasonable, but, but they have plans for their life. And as we grow, we continue to, to double down on those, and we, we make those plans, and we continue to develop those, and, and we have these plans. And, and the reality is, is, that, is that we do not like things that are unpredictable. We really don't. And, and, and as human beings, we don't like unanticipated change. We want to know exactly where things are going and what to expect. We want everything programmed and in the right place at the right time. And even if it's positive or negative, if we didn't plan it, there is a stress in adjusting to that. Even good things that happen that we don't plan, there is a tension and a stress in adapting to that. Especially when it's negative, there's all kinds of issues when those things happen. Let me ask this, just to see if, if, if we're relating at all. Has anyone, I don't know, maybe in this last, I don't know, six months or so, has anyone had plans and something's happened and those plans have been completely destroyed? Anyone? Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, we relate to this, right? Be- because there's a reality that, that we, we really are these people. And so here's the question that we have to wrestle with today. So what happens to peace when our plans are shattered? See, if Jesus is my peace, what does it say about my relationship with Jesus when peace departs with the arrival of the unknown? What does it say about us when we lose our peace when something unplanned happens? Like, what does that say about the health of my relationship with Jesus or even what I believe about Jesus or, or, or how, I'm, how, I'm, how I'm living in, in the midst of, of becoming Christ-like? If you have your Bibles, we're going to um, kind of jump from Luke chapter 1 to Matthew chapter 1. So you can turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 26. I think probably one of the, the biggest unplanned things in a person's life is really probably uh, characterized in the life of Mary and Joseph. In Luke chapter one, we, 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 see, we see Mary's life, uh, and I'm sure that, that Mary had all kinds of plans for her life. I'm sure that she, from when she was a little girl, had an idea of what she wanted to, her life to look like, and she had plans. And so we catch up in verse 26 of, uh, of chapter one. In Luke, and it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him 
to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, we, we read this passage, and, and we, we kind of glance through this, but just take a second to pause and think about what was happening to Mary's plans. She was planning a wedding. She was planning a life with a husband, Joseph. Here's what we know about Mary. We know that she was a very young woman. We know that she was from the tribe of Judah, descendant of David. We know that she saved herself for marriage. We know that she, she chose the path of purity and was committed to that. And she was saving herself for marriage. And she was engaged at that point to a poor carpenter from Nazareth named Joseph. And then this angel comes to her and says, you are favored of God. And God's going to miraculously cause you to become pregnant and you will have a baby, and it won't be from another man. And, and, and just think about that for a second, because here she, she's got to be thinking, okay, so how, how exactly do I explain this to people? Mary had a reputation, a good one. And I don't know, when, when God says, when the angel says, you're favored of God, you're going to have an unexplainable pregnancy that will probably cause consequences in your life and people will see you as someone who isn't very respectable. God, let's hold off on the favors for a while. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I really want favor to be favored anymore. If that's the way this goes, it, it trashes all of my plans and everything goes to the side. And, and so she's told that this, this man, Joseph, she's, she's looking forward to spending her life with, that she's going to have a baby that's not his. So no matter how you look at it, Mary doesn't have the hindsight that we have on this. And so this is a peace breaker, isn't it? This isn't a thing that brings peace. Jumping over to Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So now we see kind of Joseph's side of it. He finds out that Mary's pregnant. 
And I'm sure there was probably like, okay, we need to have a conversation. So he finds out that she's pregnant and and she says, yeah, so funny story, Joseph. An angel, you know, Gabriel, he showed up at my house and he said, I was going to have a baby and it's going to be from the Holy Spirit and um, he's going to be the Messiah. And uh, what we understand from this conversation, it obviously didn't go super well because uh, Joseph didn't believe her, which I don't blame Joseph for. Um, I mean, so Joseph was kind of like, well, apparently Joseph was a, 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 had a great reputation. He was a just man. He was compassionate. And he decided he didn't want to put her to further shame or embarrass her further than this embarrassment that she has obviously made some poor decisions. And so, and so instead of just kind of rubbing her face in it, he's just going to divorce her quietly. According to the law, because of her unfaithfulness, he could have had her stoned. And so he's just going to kind of quietly divorce her for probably a number of reasons. I mean, not only is she pregnant, but she's also crazy. Like, that's kind of, like, really, like, if you really think about this, she's kind of nuts at this point. Like, oh, God made me pregnant. We don't buy that. So, so, so here he's, he's, he's going to kind of, he's saying, okay, um, we're going to, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. And then, and then angel of the Lord comes to him in a dream. And Joseph wakes up, and what does he do? He obeys. Even to the point where, where even after they were married, he didn't, he didn't take hold of his right as a husband in a marriage to become intimate until after this pregnancy went all the way through and the baby was born because he said he wanted to wait till God's plan was accomplished. So he even gave up his marital right after they got married until Jesus was born. And again, it's a solid peace breaker that, of course, Joseph knows that he's going to be seen very differently now because he married the woman who bore a child that wasn't his. And so for Mary and Joseph, the plans that they had, they were violently interrupted. And that's probably an understatement. I mean, their plans, all the stuff that they were thinking, this is what we're going to do. This is how our life's going to be suddenly radically changed. And, and so what do you do with, with the unplanned when it happens in your life? Sometimes it's things that happen that are unplanned that we have no control over. Sometimes the unplanned happens because of maybe something we've done. But what happens? What do you do with the unplanned? In our culture, our culture, I think, does maybe four broad category of things with the unplanned. One, our culture teaches us to denial, that, that we just ignore or pretend or as you were mentality, that, that really when the unplanned happens, just deny it, pretend it's not out there and just go, go ahead and keep going as you were. Go with your plans and keep going and hopefully it'll go away. Our culture also teaches us to deaden the unplanned medicate our way or alter our reality with other things. I, I was listening to a podcast the, this week, and it was interesting. They were talking about um, uh, coping with, with all the things that are happening in life during the season. And, and they were talking about, uh, apparently, there's this thing um, for 
I don't know, uh, moms who are now having their kids at home and uh, they're distance learning, and it's obviously not what they had planned. And uh, so there is a statement made, it's called Mommy Needs a Brownie. And uh, apparently, uh, they're special brownies, um, not just with chocolate, but some special goodness in them. And it's mommy's way of coping with what's going on. And uh, apparently, it's a thing. And uh, it was just kind of interesting. But, but this is what our culture does teach us to do with whatever is at our disposal to deaden the, 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 the issues that are going on with the, the, the things that, are, that aren't planned. Another thing our culture does is it teaches us to dispose with the unplanned. If you do a Google search for the word unplanned, all the results come up with pregnancy. Our culture has taught us that if there is something unplanned that comes into our life, we should just dispose of it. Not only does our culture say that that's an option, but our culture celebrates that. I mean, we've gotten to this place where if things don't go according to my plan, even if it's a child, that, that our celebrated option is to dispose. That's what our culture teaches Our culture also teaches us to defeat, to just overcome and push through holding tightly to our plans because we know what's best for ourselves and we should keep rolling through to accomplish our plans. And here's the problem with what culture teaches us, denial and deaden and dispose and defeat. Those things will never result in peace in our lives. They won't. What they will result in is further difficulty, other consequences, and probably more pain. And so how do we then, as believers, as those who follow Jesus, how do we then deal with the unplanned and have peace in the midst of it? Well, there's a few things. There's, number one, we, we need to have a, a, we need to prepare for the peace that Jesus offers us. Anything that you do, you have to prepare for. And there's two things that we can do in preparation of of peace, the peace of Jesus in our lives. And and one is really uh, characterized by Mary and the other is characterized by Joseph. When when Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel, Gabriel, she knew what the angel told her, but but also understood the cultural consequences for her. Yet in in the last verse, it says, she says in response to the angel, without completely understanding everything and all the implications, She says, may it be to me as you have said. You see, Mary responded in surrendering herself to God as his willing servant. Surrender is one of those things that we need to do to prepare for the peace of God. You see, Mary experienced the grace of God and she believed the word of God and therefore could be used by the spirit to accomplish the will of God. When we choose to surrender our plans to God, we then take the position that accepts the peace of God. And, and it's not only surrender that, that prepares us for God's peace, but it's also obedience. What did Joseph do when he woke up from the, his experience with the angel of the Lord? It says he obeyed everything that the angel told him. 
He gave up his rights and chose to obey God's direction in his life. He went through with a marriage, and again, it says he didn't engage in that until after the baby was born. Joseph not only chose to obey contrary to his own plans, but accepted the cultural consequences and gave all that up. You see, if we are going to be experiencing the peace that God offers, the peace that Jesus is, we have to be prepared for that by surrendering and living in obedience to God's word. Because if we're not surrendered and obedient, then we will not get peace. It doesn't work that way. Second thing is, is, is that um, there's a process as we receive the peace of Christ in the unplanned. Because when, when my plans go south, when my plans go sideways, the first thing I do is I try to fix things. And, and the first thing that we should be doing to experience peace in the midst of the unplanned is that we should immediately be in prayer, asking for guidance, courage, help. Here's the thing, if you're not praying, then you're not pursuing peace. And for me, as we entered into this season that we're in, the first thing I started doing was trying to react to all of the things that were changing and trying to figure things out. And it took me a little while because I was, so, I was having such a hard time focusing to really come to that place and recognizing that the only starting point that we can have is a starting point of prayer. And that's why I invite people to come gather here in this room on Tuesday mornings at 6.30 to pray together. Because if we want peace, we have to be in prayer. The reality is, is that if you're, again, if we're not praying, we're not pursuing peace. Second thing we do in, in processing God's peace in our lives is, is our perspective. Is, is my perspective temporal or eternal? Is my perspective on the things that are around me, the physical, the temporal, the things that don't last? Or is my perspective on the eternal? Am I asking what might God be doing in the midst of this? Because I had plans, but now my plans are, are all, all off. Am I going to look at the temporal, the immediate, the physical and say, okay, how do I fix this? Or I'm going to look at the eternal and say, okay, what does God want to do in this? in the bigger picture of things. And the third thing in, in, in processing God's peace is, is providence. There is nothing unplanned or surprising with God. Nor is anything impossible to redeem for my transformation and my good. See, You see, God from the very beginning knew what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. And so when, when things go off of our plan and, they, and, they get, and our plans get shattered, that doesn't mean that God is somehow now trying to figure out how to fix things because things are out of control. But you see, if we're praying and we're having the right perspective and we recognize God's providence, we are in a place where we can begin to see peace grow in our lives. And there's a few things that I think are important for us to remember when it comes to peace and when it comes to the unplanned in our lives. I think it's important to remember some very simple truths. And the first one is this, that God's love for you will never change, no matter what happens. 
no matter what's going on. That God's love for you will never change. It is a permanent thing to build your life on. God cannot love you any more than he already does. And so that's, that's one of the things. God's love for you will never, ever change. Second thing is this. God's word will never change. God's word will never change. In spite of all the cultural changes and differences over thousands and thousands of years, God's word has, has, has managed to remain true and relevant. Here's the thing. God's word has been attacked by dictators, ridiculed by critics, burned and outlawed, yet it has managed it has managed to outlast all of it. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And, and so God's word has outlasted all of that, and it will continue to outlast that. God's word will continue to, to be the same no matter what happens tomorrow or the next week or years from now. And the third thing is this, that God's ultimate purpose will never change. God is at work in human history, and God is equally at work in your life. He will be faithful to his plan for human history, for humanity, and his plan for you, no matter what you see. No matter what your plans are, no matter how they've been blown up, shattered, thrown to the side, God's ultimate purpose will never, ever change for you. So here's the reality that we kind of live under. And this might be disappointing to some of you, but here's the thing. We cannot really plan our lives because we don't control the factors that influence us. I can't. I can't really plan out my life because I don't control the factors that influence me. And, and that's not an excuse to live irresponsibly and say, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen, so I'm just going to sit back and, and kind of coast. But we do recognize, as, as Proverbs 19 says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We have to recognize that and understand that. And, and so if, if we are unwilling to surrender and obey God, then we are trading peace for a charade of control. It's not actual control. When we say, I'm not gonna surrender or obey God because I, I need to, I need, to, I have plans and, I, and I'm, I'm very, very much, I'm very partial to those plans. We are trading a charade of control for peace. You see, we will not be at peace until we fully step into this. And here's what we tend to want, and maybe you identify with this. We tend to want God's peace and my plans. And that's kind of what we live for. God, you give me your peace and you adopt my plans because that's gonna be what's best for me. And here's the thing, we can't have both. <laughs> In fact, if we choose our plans, we won't even really get our plans. <laughs> but if we surrender and obey and we allow God to shape our plans, then we get peace with that. I'm going to invite the 
worship team to come back up, and we're going we're gonna to worship a, l- a little bit more in, in, in lifting our voices together. But I want to leave you with some questions to maybe ask yourself this week as you walk through this week, as, as maybe you are looking at the, the unplanned in your life and thinking, I, I know I've got to have peace in the midst of this. First question is this, are, are you preparing for God's peace in the midst of your plans? And that, again, comes down to obedience and surrender. The example of Mary and Joseph. Number two, are you working through the process of God's peace or working at holding on to your plans? Are you prayerful? Do you have that eternal perspective? Do you recognize God's providence? And thirdly, this, are you anchored in the truth of God that brings peace? Have you been reminded lately that God, his love will never change? that he loves you so much, that that his, his plan for you will not change and that his word will not change? Are you anchored in those truths that, that facilitate and bring God's peace in our lives? Let me pray for us. Father, we, we come before you and God, I thank you so much that in the midst of all kinds of things that happen that we don't plan on, that God, you are still sovereign. God, I thank you for what we may oftentimes see as overreach in our lives because it, it thwarts our plans. But God, I thank you that there is no end to your kingdom or your government. And there's no end to your peace that comes with that. So Father, I pray right now for for myself that God, the plans that I have and the plans that I've held so tightly to, God, I pray that I would welcome your reach into my life to replace those plans with what you want. God, that I, that we would fully surrender and obey what you call us to. They got especially now when there are so many people around us and peace is the last thing that could, could characterize our culture and our world, that God, not only would we be at peace, but, but we would create peace because you are in us, you are with us, you are transforming us, that we would be those who bring peace to all situations. God, not just calm, intense moments or lack of argument, but God, that we would bring the broken to fullness and to restoration because you are the God of salvation and you are the God of the brokenhearted and those who've been restored. So Father, I pray that as we as we walk through these things and and the many disappointments that we have, that we could recognize your presence in our lives and that we could have a peace that is not attached to our plans, but are attached to the promise that you have given us of forgiveness, of restoration, and of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. 
so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.